All right, all right, all right. Here we are. Hello, everybody. Episode 69, The Hunger for the Hustle podcast. It is here. The first time I have ever done dual podcast back-to-back. I've just literally come straight from featuring on Bite the Bullet, Jay's podcast, and now not for the first but the second time. And this only it's funny because it's only the second person that I've had on for the second time, um, Jay Reese, my great friend, author, entertainer, and, of course, speaker. I was just thinking, actually, quite frankly, it's a good job you're a speaker and you like speaking because we're by the end of this, <laughs> we've done well over two hours of, of talking to each other. But, man, I could talk to you all day. Like, you, you really are Definitely. a great guy, great friend of mine. Um, yeah, man, I mean, let's – and, of course, the author of the book Legacy, a silent book series, a book I still haven't finished – but I, I, I am. Okay, I am. I'll get it. I'll get it. And, I, and that's just part of, that's just because I, I, I try. Well, like honestly, I most, there's a lot of people who tell me that, and I'm like, okay, okay. But you, I, I legitly know how busy you are. So trust mm-hmm. me, when you tell me that, I know. Is it to be true? <laughs> <laughs> so no worries. No worries. Yeah. yeah no, I, and just like everything I do, I don't just read one book at a time either. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but no, it's a, it's a, it's a great book. I've been enjoying it, and I've been enjoying the way in which you've created a book that's uh, essentially has a, a sci-fi kind of futuristic theme mm-hmm. with people who have special powers and stuff. But and I'm probably about uh, about halfway through it, but I can already see how it's how it's like how it relates. Actually, a lot of these things and people's powers are just analogies for feelings and things that you go through in life, and then mm-hmm. how you can really apply them in a multitude of ways. So I think it's really interesting what you've done. And like, how did the idea come about? How did the concept come around? Well, I wanted to see myself in stuff that I read and stuff that I watched, but I also wanted something my kids could have and they could see themselves in. So the original concept of the book was essentially about my family. And I went through many, many, many drafts <laughs> of other stories that just, in my opinion, just weren't good and they got scraps. And then it finally evolved to what is legacy currently. Got it. Uh, how long did it take you to, to write it? So it took me about three years to write, but to be fair, a lot of it, I had to deal with my own self battles. So there was a lot of times I was procrastinating. There was a lot of times where I just wasn't self-disciplined enough to stay focused and do the job. Uh, looking back on it, I'm sure the next one that I write will be much shorter to write because I feel like I've learned a lot in writing this first one. Yeah, yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Like the first one, the first time you do anything is where all the juice is, where you learn. And of course, you make mm-hmm. the mistakes, which sets you up to not have to do that the second time. And then certainly, I find I always, I always love doing things in threes. I find that by the third time, you're pretty much mm-hmm. a pro, right? You should, maybe not a pro, maybe that's a bit, bit advanced, but like you should know what you're doing by the third time. If, mm-hmm. if it's a third time and you don't know what you're doing, mm, you know, maybe you should be doing something else. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, one, of, one of my goals is to constantly chip away like in half increments. So my book, my first book took me about three years. My next book 
it's going to take me a year and a half. My next book is going to take me about, I don't know, seven to six, eight months, something like that. And so on and so on as I keep writing books. Or at least that's yeah. the plan. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good plan and it's important to have one, right? Right. Um, uh, goal without a plan is just a wish. Mm -hmm. Now, along the along the journey, Jay, I'm sure, mm -hmm. I'm sure that you you were met with a series of, of challenges, a series of knockbacks, series of setbacks, perhaps even moments where you thought, you know, can I do this? Can I get it done? Mm -hmm. But let's let's talk about some of those. Share some of those. Oh, sure. Um, there were times where ideas just weren't coming to me, or at least I I, had, I didn't feel were good enough. Uh, when I first started writing the manuscript, I felt what I wrote had to be perfect. And luckily, I started searching how to write, how to be an author, all the stuff that you do to procrastinate, because that's essentially what it is. But because of the universe and God and whatever you believe, I, I stumbled across a conversation or a lecture by Stephen um, King. And in his lecture, he goes on to say that the first time you write something, you're telling the story to yourself. Every time after that, you're getting better and better at telling the story to other people, right? And once I heard that, I was like, oh, that please. So I don't think I've had writer's block since because I just write. Uh, I know it doesn't have to be perfect. I know it doesn't have to necessarily make sense, but I just write now. And then when I get to the editing process, that's when I really have the painstaking heartache of having to chip things away and tweak and change and all that lovely stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's there's a lot to be said in that, isn't there? Just getting it done, getting it out there, getting it, getting it, getting the job finished, and then realizing that look, there is a comb through process, there is a filtration process. Um, that, you know, in this case for a book, there is an editing process, but really you can apply it to anything. You know, get in there, get the hard yards done, and then you know, map, map the rest of it out afterwards. It doesn't have to be perfect straight away. And I think, like you say, in in knowing that, admitting that in yourself, it makes the whole process a lot easier. Look, I'm just doing this, I'm going forth with it. It hasn't got to be perfect. It hasn't got to be, mm -hmm. you know, absolutely right the first time and nor do I expect it to be. I think you're going to get a lot more into that flow state if you think like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you produce is actually going to be a lot more authentic and genuine because you're not, you're not concerned about how it's going to actually look when it finally goes out, because you know it's quite far away from that at the moment, so it's, there's no. Um, you you take the pressure off yourself, I, I guess, when you when you just think think like that in that way. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Once you get rid of the notion that it has to be perfect or it has to be the polished, whatever you're trying to do, and you just go ahead and do it, your world opens up. You start being more successful. You start being more assertive you just start doing things because you realize you get you seize opportunities because you're just going out and doing things versus trying to wait for that perfect time which never comes mm, absolutely right there, there is yeah there is no perfect moment like i can I think about i used to think like that i'd be like oh no I'll wait for the right time wait for the signs you know like wait for something to show me it's not nah it, it doesn't work like that like the, mo the right moment is whenever you decide it's going to be and knowing actually mm -hmm. that there is not a right moment and and right. like if you're waiting for it you're probably waiting forever essentially mm -hmm. you just gotta just, it, it's not waiting for the right moment it's making the decision that's the actual 
important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Now talking talking about challenges there for a minute, like I know you're you're a happy, healthy man now, but there was a time in your life where you weren't right. Yeah. There was a time in your life where, and I'm talking more about you know the kind of the kind of mental mental side of things here. I know there's a time mm-hmm. in your life where you weren't particularly happy. You were working a job that was really eating away at you. Um, but there was a time even before that, you know, when you used to be in the military and a, and a story that we've we've gone back and forth on before, a story about you crashing a particular vehicle um, and then being, being quite fearful of those results. Please, please share that story with us. <laughs> so... Um, yes, I, I used to be, uh, in the United States air force and I used to work in the motor pool. So I was on a convoy one day and I was assigned of picking people up. So on the way back, my, uh, brakes started to overheat and there was smoke coming from the back. So I called in a dispatch and I asked them, what do they want me to do? They just told me, bring the, and we'll get it solved. Once you get here, no problem. So I bring the bus in, and as soon as I come over to the front doors, I let all the people off, and my dispatcher gets on. He says, hey, take it over to maintenance, but when you take it over to maintenance, don't put the air brakes on. If you haven't driven a bus before, an air brake is like the parking brake for the bus, right? So I drive it over to maintenance, and I grab the chalks from behind the seat, and I start walking to the back, and I didn't put on the air brake. And as I walk to the back, I realized that I'm getting to the back way faster than I think I ever have in my life. And I stop and I look to my side and I realize the bus is still moving. And at that moment, I see my military career just go up in smoke as the bus plows through the dry, uh, excuse me, the, um, the maintenance wall. Luckily, it was after hours and there was no one inside this building. But at that moment, I was like, what have I done? Oh, my gosh. So I call, I use my cell phone and I call in to back into dispatch and I'm like, I need you to come and see this issue because I didn't want to talk about it on the radio because there's there's a lot of people listening in on the Air Force radio. Right. And. Uh, my dispatcher doesn't want to come at first, but I finally talk him into coming. When he comes, he doesn't say anything too mean. He just is like, go home. We'll take care of it when you get back tomorrow. Okay, sir. Sure. Yes, sir. So I go home. I can't sleep a wink. I'm thinking the worst of the worst is going to happen. I get back in the next morning. And of course, there were some jokes. I became the guy who tried to put a drive through through maintenance. Uh, my commander... <laughs> said a couple jokes, but I got called into them and I got reprimanded a little bit, but nothing came out of that. But that story, I love sharing that story because no matter what happens in our life, we always think it's going to be the worst. Now, granted, it probably could have been a lot worse depending on who was there, but it definitely wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And for a lot of you out there who wants to blame dispatch, uh, a lot of times when you have breaks that uh, overheat. If I would have put the air brake on, chalked the wheels, and then undid the brakes, they wouldn't have had time to cool 
and they wouldn't have locked up like he was suggesting they would have. So that's what I was supposed to do. So if anyone's out there, please do that if you have a vehicle that's in that situation. Yeah, exactly right. And how did they, um, how did the, so the vehicle crashed into the wall, pretty big hole in the wall, probably. What happened? Yeah. What happened to repairing it? Did you, were you like left responsible for repairing it or did they just, how did they fix it up? Um, luckily, the way military things work for the most part, it's all handled internally. I mean, on paper, there's money exchanging hands, but there is no actual money ex going from back and forth. So um, usually military have a mason department or something like that. They came and they fixed the wall. I mean, it took them a little while, but they came and fixed it. But I was not yeah. held responsible for the wall. I was, however, um, responsible for the bus. Uh, not financially, but I was responsible for help cleaning and fixing the vehicle <laughs> that I had damaged. Yeah. And how long did the jokes go on for? Oh, till I left the area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, to, this day, to this day, um, I still have military friends who like, yeah. every so often it, it comes back up in conversation because yeah. it's, just, it's just one of those things. Like it's a mistake that happened and I learned from it, but some things you just can't get away from. And I don't, uh, I don't like regret what happened. I don't like think bad of it. It was a funny story. I tell it at parties. I'm telling it now in front of everybody. So it's just, it's just one of those things that happened. So that's how it is, right? I think yeah. when something unique, that unique happens and quite, and quite, quite crazy, potentially dangerous as well, but nothing, nothing dangerous fortunately happened from yeah. it. Mm -hmm. The story is all, and the jokes just outlast and outshine because it's just, the, va the value from it, the longevity from it is, is just always there, isn't it? Always there. Yeah. Now, let's talk about, like, failures for a minute here because I always mm -hmm. get into them a little bit on this podcast because I find that when you're presented with challenges, you know, mm -hmm. you don't always un overcome them and sometimes mm -hmm. they, lead, they lead to failures. But I think that's it's important to recognize them and accept them and just mm -hmm. to learn lessons from them. To, to me, really, I perceive failures as, as not, not what they're, what the, not what the set of letters that are attached to them, what they are like failures aren't really a thing. You haven't really ever failed until you completely quit. You either win yeah. or you learn, but like maybe in the context of just life, maybe in the context of, of the book, but like if you could share some, some of your failures along the way. So, like you're saying, um, I, I tend not to look at anything I've done in life as a failure, but I know there are times in life where I felt like a failure. So um, earlier you had mentioned uh, mental issues and dark times in our life. And I used to work a corporate nine to five job. And for me, it was a very toxic environment. Uh, my boss was not very supportive. I was, my hours were um, nine to five, but I worked anywhere from six to nine like it was it was very it was very horrible and i was the only one in my position doing my job i got burnt out i got tired it was just a very bad environment to the point where i was depressed i, I even was having suicidal thoughts uh and honestly it wasn't until i got to the point of my boss coming to me and saying that I have to get along with another coworker or she's essentially gonna fire one of us. And 
I left that day thinking how mad and upset I was. And then on the drive home, I remember thinking, why am I upset? I don't even like this job. Why would I care if she fires me? You know what I mean? Mm. So I went home and I and I spoke with my wife and I told her everything. I told her how I felt about the job. I told her how suicidal I was, I was getting, that I was thinking about just killing myself because I came from a background of entertaining people. I, I love to act. I love being on stage. I love talking to people. That That is my zone. So being in a cubicle with no windows and just having a micromanaging boss was not my thing at all. Mm. So my wife and I worked it out where I wouldn't go to work anymore. I would stay home and be a stay-at-home dad, and I would work on projects that I felt worthy until I figured out what I wanted to do in life. So while I was home, I felt like a failure because my wife was taking over responsibilities. And that isn't me trying to say women can't do that because my wife did hell of a job and I would be nowhere without my wife. But for me, I did, financially, I didn't know how to help her. So for me, I felt like a failure in that aspect. But it wasn't until I realized, you know what? You're working on yourself. You are being strong mentally. You're handling the home to make this a better place for her and our children. So you're not a failure. But that took some mental work. That took weeks, months of just going back and being that conscious person of listening to Les Brown and Bob Proctor and all these motivational speakers to help get my mind right. And when I finally got my mind to a place where I could work, what can I say? Legacy was born. So, and that, that to me, that's when I felt like a failure. Do you think if you hadn't have gone through that period of your life, you'd have still written the book? No, I probably wouldn't have written the book because I either would have stayed in that job and just been miserable or I would have got fired and found some other job. If I hadn't have taken, if I hadn't spoken with my wife and if we hadn't come up with a plan for me to leave, my life will be completely different. I probably wouldn't have wrote the book. I probably wouldn't be hosting a show. I probably wouldn't be on your show. I wouldn't be have a personal connection with Les Brown and John Tarico and all these people. So my life would have been completely different. Isn't it interesting that you had to you had to go and, and like when you're in it, when you're in the moment, you, you, you don't know what's coming in and you don't understand why you're having to go through what you're having to go through. But Later down the line, there's always a time that comes. I know it's, it's, I've seen it play out many times for many people and for myself as well that you're like, oh, that's why that had to happen. That's why I had to go through that turbulent time. You know, it's like when you, it's like when you take off on, on, I've heard this, Mr. Brown actually used this analogy. It's fantastic that when you take off on the airplane, they're like, you know, strap, strap into your seat because it's going to be bankable before we get to the, that, that, that smooth, that smooth part where it's just, uh-huh. You know, you can take your seatbelt off, you can go to the toilet, you can right. get some food, whatever. You know, that's what life's like. You know, there's 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 rough parts, there's turbulent parts, there's bouncy parts where you got to strap in, bolt in, and just ride it out, white knuckle, all the way. Like, if, and if, if we could only live life backwards, <laughs> things would be a lot easier, but we don't. So, 
um, like you're saying, the, the storms are meant to make us stronger. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. Um, yes, they suck. They're they're intentionally not the best feeling in the world. But keeping a positive mindset and looking for the opportunities that will help get us to where we're trying to go is the is the what to do or is what we should do. Yeah, yeah, it's the way forward. It's not always the easiest thing to do though. But um, I tell you what makes it a lot easier. I find is by surrounding people that are that think the same way. Because mm-hmm. then you, it just, it automatically flows to you. But if it mm-hmm. automatically flows to the people you're around, yeah, always, you know, always, always finds it easier. Let's let's switch it up and go from. Okay. We gave a fair bit of time to failures and challenges there. Now I'd love to talk about some triumphs and particularly like that moment. Like I'd love to know how it felt. You know, as an author is getting your first book out, that moment where. You're like, oh my god, here it is. It's actually, it's tangible. It's here in my hand physically, and then like, okay, now people are receiving it and reading it, and, and it's like, it's out there in the world, and I'm getting feedback. <laughs> it is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a very bittersweet thing because on the one hand, like you're saying, like you have the feedback coming from everybody, and you're like, oh my god, what are they going to say? But on the other hand, I'm a I'm a um, published author. I've written a book, so it's like this very weird mixed emotions. But I can tell you, um, there's a process that every author goes to, excuse me, goes through. That um, once the book is almost ready, you get what's called uh, the publisher proofs or the author proofs, and you get sent what is going to be the book when people buy it. The first time I opened that and saw my book in a physical, tangible form, that to me was a memory I think I will always have and I will always hold. Because for me, that's when it was really real. Uh, Writing it on my computer, talking to people about it, that wasn't real. Me holding it in my hands, that was real. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I wouldn't... uh... I'm surprised that you said it's terrifying, but I can un- totally understand why why it would be. Because it's like it's it's printed now, it's signed, it's sealed. You can't edit it. Like right. was that's that's an interesting point as well. I was like, it took you three years to write it. Mm-hmm. It probably took I don't know how long. How long did it take from you took three years to write? How long did it take from okay, it's finished now to actually get it in your hand, fit, uh, printed, bound, bound, but you know, bounded, done. Uh, maybe about three to four months. Uh, cause there's a different process for that. Cause mm-hmm. one, uh, when you're speaking with your editor or editors, plus like the cover artists, you have to work with their schedule and other stuff like that. Um, but in a perfect world, mm, probably two to three months, if that long. Okay. So let's say it was, let's say, Let's be conservative and say the kind of whole process maybe took three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Like it's done now, it's printed, it's finished. Was there a part of you were like, ah, oh, I could have added that in or I could have changed this bit? Or like, <laughs> you know, how long does that go on for? Um, me, I'm the I'm the kind of person, like I'm very imaginative. Uh, I used to be the kid that would have other kids around him or her 
telling stories, right? Because I'm that guy. Like everyone will come to me. Oh, what are we gonna do today? What 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 game are we playing? I, I, I'm that person, right? So when I was writing this book, yes, there was many ideas that got shelved and I couldn't put into this book because they didn't fit. And luckily I have an editor who was very honest, very open with me. And she was like, hey, this doesn't fit in this story. Or if you wanna put it in, you need to write something else to make it fit in. So there's a lot of ideas I couldn't necessarily put into this book. But here's the great thing about having too many ideas. Save them, keep them somewhere else because one, a lot of those ideas that I couldn't put in this first book are definitely going into the second book, mm. assuming my editor allows it. <laughs> and then other part of it is that um, you could always use them in some other media or form. So I have people that I work with on Instagram and Facebook where we're in mastermind groups and I share content with them and I share stories that have what if or what could have been and stuff like that. And that helps me give, that helps me have more content because any idea isn't a bad idea. It just depends on how you're using it, right? So to answer your question, yes, there are many ideas that I had to either shelve or just kind of put on the side that couldn't go into this book. And there were many situations where when the book was actually published, new ideas were still coming in for this book that I just had to say, you know what? I have to reform that or put that somewhere else because the book's done. I had to let it go. Mm, 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 that's it. So, so the ideas keep flowing and going. But I mean, there's if you've got a, a big imagination, like you said you have, they're always going to keep going, right? So right. It, it, I, like the, I like what you did there. You, 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 you just decided that, look, that's how that is. I'm going to mm -hmm. take that energy. I'm going to store them ideas and actually create more than one book. Um, hence right. what's called, you know, uh, the title of the book is Legacy, a Scion series, series pertaining to the fact that there's, of course, going to be more than one of them. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, like, something else that you said there was, you know, um, the, 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 the magnitude of the problem is only uh, dependent on how you perceive, perceive it right and, right. Um, and how you use the energy from it. And right. if you convert it into... Okay, I've got boundless amounts of ideas and imagination, but I'm not going to let that affect what I've already done. In fact, I'm going to let it improve what I do in the future. Right. So one of my favorite uh, characters is Captain Jack Sparrow. And he is quoted as saying, the problem is not the problem. How you look at the problem is the problem. Right. Yeah. So that's just kind of my philosophy. And I just like, huh, let me figure out another way to solve this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, another one I heard is, Life is is um, nine. No, wait there. Well, I've got to get this right around. Life is ten percent what happens to you, ninety percent of how you react to what actually happened. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like something I've learned recently is about responding instead of reacting. Mm -hmm. And you know, like. We've all been, and I'm sure you guys watching this have all been there. You get that phone call, you get that text, you get that email, and you look at it and you're just like, <sighs> but you're like, you want to respond straight away. You want to respond with something that probably meets the energy of what you were received with, but actually yeah. just taking a breath, perhaps even writing something out, but not sending it in that moment and giving it 24 hours. 
like you can guarantee that you will come back to it in 24 hours and have somewhat of a different approach. You might, you might even need 48, you might need a week, but like you, you'll have, you'll come back to it with a different approach mm -hmm. and, and a different perspective and respond instead of react if mm -hmm. you just give it some time, you know, because like how many times have you reacted to something that was kind of reactionary that someone sent you and then thought, oh, I wish I'd done that in a different way or I wish I hadn't done that. And it was just because you rushed to react instead of respond and just didn't take that bit of time for yourself that you needed to um, construct a, a good and decent reply. And sometimes the things don't even need a reply. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's funny. The older I get, the more I realize that actually is true. I'm a big social justice advocate and I, I'm realizing the older I get that everything doesn't need my response the moment I see it, <laughs> you know? So um, here in the States, we have a big uh, police brutality issue. And I'm not saying all cops are bad because they're not. I know there are a lot of good cops out there. Mm -hmm. uh, me particularly, the only issue I ever really have is that there aren't enough people speaking up against bad cops so a lot of times things hit me emotionally and i want to respond to it right then and there right because it's urgent or at least i feel it's urgent but that's my emotions i have to come yeah. from a logical perspective so like you're saying maybe i should step away 24 hours 48 hours a week um because in hindsight it doesn't matter if I retweet or if I make a post about it at that particular moment, because the issue is probably still going to be there when I get back to it. So let me calm myself and come from a more rational, logical perspective versus just going off of emotion. Yeah, no, no, I really, it's absolutely right. You just got to take the time. And it's something that you do. You can't like, you just, it's weird, isn't it? Because you always look back and you think, oh, if only I wish I'd known that when I was younger, but that's not how it works. Like, right. And that's not how it's meant to work. Like, mm -hmm. you, you just learn these things as you can only learn, learn these things as you go through them. And you can mm -hmm. only go through them as you have more life experience. And you can only have more life experience as you, mm -hmm. as you get, um, as you have more years of life. I'm not going to say get older because I, I don't believe that we all, we all get older, but we don't actually have to get old. I like that though. More years of life. I like that. Mm -hmm. Hey, our friend uh, Janet McKay's watching. Hey, Janet, how are you? Shout out to Janet. How are you, Janet? Hope you're well. Janet is. She said she's. Uh, we're rock stars, apparently. Uh, uh, she's she's being modest because she knows she's the rock star. I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, to, I'm following Janet's lead. That's what I'm doing. Exactly right. Janet is on fire. She's a a wonderful lady doing wonderful things. Is that? Yeah. Be the way. drip that rips. I love it. Be the drip that rips. Hey, and that's, and that's a perfect segue. That's like the power of the mastermind. You know, me and you met through Les Brown's Power Voice Summit, a, right. a live weekly training that's set up by by the one of arguably, if not the one of certainly one of the greatest public speakers of all time, Les Brown, to teach other people how to um, speak publicly and find their voice and hone their craft and, and then present it. That's where we, we met. We wouldn't have met yeah. if that hadn't happened. That wouldn't have happened if COVID hadn't happened. So thank you, COVID. Um, but 
like we formed inside that group with Janet, with Michael Bridgman, with Eric Collier, with Maurice Baker, with Beata, um, Joanna, Joanna, Laura, Laurie. Just checking out if we missed anyone. No, I've got everyone this time. We formed the mastermind, right? And we said, you know, as, as Les advised us to, and I, I'd already taken kind of action on it, which was like, find seven people. Find seven people that you can create a small group with that you can catch up regularly. In fact, we need to catch up again. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, that you can practice your work on and, and hone your craft and just share ideas with each other in, in you know, but not a public format. It wants to be a private one because you're still working on stuff. It's not going to be right. right. But that you can just be open, honest, and authentic with people. And we did that. And it, it was no surprise at all to me that from the back of that, I think mm – -hmm. 95% of the people in that group have now been chosen to speak at the actual Power Voice Summit. Right. Um, which is like, it's not, that's not, you know, there's no, that's not a coincidence at all. It's because the, the power of that mastermind and the way it helps you and surrounding yourself with people that are doing a similar thing at a similar time and, and borrowing their belief, you know, sometimes when you don't believe you can do it, like a lot of that was going on in that group, you know, there was points where people are like, I just can't get this right or, you know, I need a bit of help with this or I just don't think it's, it's good enough um, and everyone backed each other up and and now, you know, all the people out of that do, group are doing doing great things. Mm -hmm. They were doing great things anyway, but now they're doing more great things pertaining to what we were practicing on. Um, I, I think that might be one of the only downfalls of once you start doing great things, you start getting busy, and uh, if you're not careful, you start to lose that connection with the people that you start with, which sometimes isn't a bad thing, <laughs> but when you have people who are like-minded and trying to move forward like you are, you have to be very mindful of making sure we keep those connections. Mm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, um, it's an interesting point you make. Like As you make more and more connections, it gets harder to stay in touch with all of them, right. but uh, I think people understand that really. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. I think anyone who is anyone who is helpful and generally wants your best in, wants your best at, at interest or your best at interest, they are understanding and they know that okay, this person is busy. I understand they can't really be around me like I might want them to be. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's real. It's real. They can't always be around, but when they are taking advantage of, you know, that time, that valuable time, because it is precious, you know, there's nothing well, more. Well, that's like you were um, telling me on my show that we taped <laughs> earlier today. Um, we didn't tape it. We didn't tape it. <laughs> there, was, there was no tape. <laughs> I'm gonna say that till I die, man. <laughs> I'm gonna correct you on it every time you say it. <laughs> uh, but when we when we recorded <laughs> the episode earlier, you had mentioned that you have a best friend that you've known for years, and because of your guys' schedule, you're not able to meet as much as you both probably would like to. But you have at least decided to meet once a month, if I, if I remember correctly. And you have a one to two hour catch up session where you help motivate and encourage each other and you keep going. And I think that speaks to what we're what we're talking about is keeping those connections with like minded people that are wanting you and themselves to get to a better place. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. And just knowing that, like, that might just be once a month for an hour, two hours. Sometimes right. sometimes go for three hours. We essentially mm -hmm. have like a sheet that we catch up on and like where we're at, third kind of 30, 60, 90 day goals, what's working yeah. well, what's not. Um, and like just knowing that, okay, that that catch up time you can have with someone that's really important, a really old friend or, you know, right. colleague or associate, it might only be an hour once a month, you know, mm -hmm. and there might be a month where like you just like, look, I just can't fit it in this month. But knowing that, you know, there's, there's those friends that you have that are yeah. It can be a month, a year, maybe even longer than that. When you see them, it's just like it's been 10 minutes, no time at all. Because um, I really think that's one of the ways you can tell like the value of a, of a, of a true, true friend. Like there's no no awkwardness. It's like no time has passed at all. So just knowing that, you know, as, as you know, we all live in a busy world now. And, mm -hmm. you know, but you are in charge of how busy it is and you are in charge of, the people you do spend time with and just knowing that sometimes it'd be 10 minutes sometimes it'd be an hour and that might not happen for as much as you as much as you want it to but um it doesn't mean that you've lost the connection with that person um and it doesn't mean that they've lost that connection with you it just means that you're you're moving forward and you and you've got lots going on and um that's fine right um one of the conversations my wife and i have because i'm the kind of person that if I feel you're not benefiting me, my family, or my friends, I'm going to cut you out. Like that, that's just being real. Like it's, and I'm not trying to be blunt or be cruel, but if you are stuck in a situation where you don't want to better yourself, that's not going to stop me from doing mine. Uh, my wife is a little more kind-hearted than that. Uh, she wants to stay connected and reconnect and kindle stuff that people used to have way back in the day, which I understand the nostalgia factor, but it's like, if you aren't helping us or yourself, I'm not sure there's any reason for us to really be associated, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and, there's not. And, and maybe that just sounds cold. I don't know. No, no, that's, that's, that's you know... That's how it is. There's a difference between like thinking that and then actually being able to action on that. You know, mm -hmm. take a bit of courage to do that because yeah. not everyone's gonna. Some people might think it's cold. Some people might think it's cruel. But you know, yeah. I always say, uh, if you don't look after number one in life, mm -hmm. then you, pretty sooner or later you're gonna end up feeling like a number two. And, right. and that's not that's not how you want to be. Not how you want to be feeling. Like you, you are the main protagonist in the movie of your life. You're also mm. the director, the producer. Um, you know, you take all them positions. One thing you should never be is the stunt double. You know, someone who's just on hand to take the nuts, right. the bumps and bruises. Mm -hmm. But you gotta you gotta evaluate where you're at in, in that in that movie of your life and know what the movie is. Like what's the story? Mm -hmm. What's who, who's who's in that story with you? How does it look? Mm -hmm. Where is it going? Is it on track? Is it off track? Like that's right. why you know, Talked about journaling and stuff on on your on by the bullet podcast just before yeah. with it and, mm -hmm. and the value of it and I think that's a good way to in the micro of each day mm -hmm. like just gen generally keep consistency of where you're at where you're going and, and stay on track. Do you do do you journal at all, Joe? Do you do much writing? Yeah, uh, I don't always do it as much as I like and how I should. Like I, I want to get to the point where I'm doing it every day. Uh, right now, I, I usually journal at night right before I go to bed. Mm -hmm. um, I have, I wish I could pull it out, but I'm, I'm in my office right now. It's in another room, but yeah, I, I like my journaling. I don't think I do it 
as detailed as you have explained, which I need to get better at. A lot of times it's just random thoughts that I might have like, oh, another story idea or maybe a movie plot or it's stuff like that. Um, I need to get better at dealing or diving into my own psyche, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, I'm totally with you on that. I'm totally with you on that. Hey, I'm going to ask you something. I don't know if we can, how much we can talk about it because I don't know what stage it's at and I don't know how much you want to release it into the public forum. But, um, you know, perhaps this idea that you, you shared with me, which I think is just such a fantastic idea mm -hmm. about uh, using essentially like, you're looking at me like I shouldn't be mentioning it. Or... No, no, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm, don't say anything. You know, using the kind of the comic book, the, the you know the typical pr protagonist that you find in yeah. comic book rags to riches uh, kind of narrative stories, yeah. and then playing that out into a format where people can align with that character, adults mm -hmm. or children, to perhaps. And better themselves essentially right so i'm currently still writing uh because i want to make sure i get all the thoughts and characters developed correctly that i want to make the analogy off of so essentially because of our common friend our mutual friend michael bridgman he suggested that i take a speech that i was working on i tend to use superhero analogies in a lot of my speeches just because I'm a huge geek and I love superpowers and phenomenal worlds and like all that stuff. But I find it very interesting that a lot of things in our lives tend to mirror comic book. I don't know whether that's art imitating life or life imitating art, but I have a school that I'm going to open up that had, there's a series of videos that will be me instructing everyone how to notice, how to combat all the different monsters, villains in their lives, and plus how to be their own superheroes. So one of the villains that I will definitely be mentioning is um, vampires. So everyone knows a vampire, everyone knows how bloodthirsty they can be, how they suck your blood, but in, in life, those tend to be the energy suckers of our lives, right? Those are the people who you don't realize they're sucking your, the energy out of your life because they're smooth, they're suave. They happen to be friends or maybe coworkers that are making you feel good, kind of. Like, have, like have you ever had a friend that wasn't any good for you but you still had fun around that friend? Like maybe you guys drunk a lot or you hung out oh, late yeah. at night, right? That was, that was a vampire because mm -hmm. that friend sucked your energy. Because I'm sure after you left that friend, you probably felt drained. So that is a vampire. Different from a leech. A leech, you know, is a leech. The moment you're away or even when you're with that leech, you feel immediately drained. So it'll be different analogies like that. Uh, anywhere from vampires to werewolves to super villains, you name it, I'm bringing it. Man, it's such a great idea. I'm smiling so much because, like, I didn't know we hadn't we hadn't touched on that for a while, and I didn't know because we all have so many ideas, you know. Particularly someone who's so creative and imaginative right. as yourself, some of them don't come to light. But it's great to hear that you're working on it in the background, and and that it's we're going to see it, man. That is exciting, really exciting. That is, and another reason I was smiling as well is because. 
when you said like, oh, you know, do you have people around you like that, the vampires? Mm -hmm. I was then thinking like, I don't think I have any of them around me anymore. I don't think I can't think of them anymore. So good. that's right. Yeah, that's good. You know, I don't need any more silver bullets to get rid of any more of them. Right. <laughs> that's how you get rid of vampires, right? Silver bullets. Silver bullets are werewolves. Um, oh, vampire, okay. Vampires, well, it depends on the lore. It depends on what fandom you're following. Um, everybody's kind of, but the general is a stake, a wooden stake through the heart for vampires. Wooden, usually. Uh, good old wooden stake through the heart. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, I've been needing any more of them. Actually, I'll say <laughs> that because, like, you can't, yeah, I've just noticed that in saying it myself. Like, you can't think, okay, I've got rid of all them people out of my life, so I'm never going to meet any more of them ever again. That's like, it's not. That's not yeah, how it works. They're always going to come around you because here's the here's the funny thing that I, that I've learned in life. When you are a good, positive, radiant person, mm. that attracts good, radiant, energetic people. But that always that also attracts the negative people because they love that energy. So you're always going to get these type of people coming around you, and until you learn how to deal with it, you're not going to be able to combat them. They're going to be stuck in your life. So it's okay if they come around every so often or if you have an encounter with them because we're human, you know? But if they are consistently in your life, sucking your energy or doing everything else that monsters and supervillains do, you got to learn how to cut them short and defeat the villains of our lives. Yeah, you have. And the beauty of it is that the more people like that you come into interaction with, you get better at... Um, recognizing them before you have to engage with them too much mm -hmm. yeah it, it's, it's and essentially it's just baby steps the mm -hmm. first time you do something it's going to feel the hardest and most nerve-wracking anxiety-filled moment the first time you tell someone no or the first time you say you know what i really can't hang out tonight i gotta work on this and you mm -hmm. stick to what you say because you promised yourself that feels good, but in the moment, it's going to feel so hard. But like you're saying, the more you do it and the more you have to deal with those people, the easier it gets. Or I shouldn't say, it's not, it doesn't get easier. You get stronger. Yes. Yes. That's the best way to frame that for sure. Now, let's talk about the hustle, Jay. You're a man who has, has hustled throughout his life. You know, you've, you've done many different things, many different careers, really. And you've you've never given up, even when you've been in some spaces like we talked about earlier, where you did feel like you wanted to give up and yeah. um, and you know perhaps didn't even want to really be here anymore. But mm -hmm. you didn't. And you know the word hustle is like it's it's ingrained with hard work and not giving up and and fortitude and strength. But you know, to me, I, I like to define it as like not seeing or having the circumstances you desire so going out there and creating them i'd love to know like how you define the word hustle and what's driven your hunger for it over the years well for me hustle i think takes on many definitions because uh i don't know how things were um in britain where you grew up but i know for me here in the states hustle was kind of like a cool hip thing that you saw gangsters or pimps do right so a lot of the movies i watched as kids they were the hustlers right and you kind of wanted to be like them so in my mind a hustler is just like this really cool cat but as i grew up i realized i didn't want to be a gangster i definitely didn't want to be a pimp 
<laughs> but the drive that they always had to be successful at what they did is something that I definitely wanted to do. So for me, hustling is just always being your best, the best version of yourself, whatever that looks like. I mean, I can't say what that looks like for everybody, but I know for me, being physically, mentally, and spiritually fit as much as I possibly can, at least 90 to 95% of my life, that's what I'm striving for. Um, I, I believe on Instagram, I started sharing my fitness journey, which I've struggled with my weight ever since I got out the military. And it's just something that I never felt that I would get back into shape. But after speaking with some other mentors and like-minded people, I realized that this is a journey that I have to continuously go on and I can't stop. Because when I've stopped before, that's essentially when I lost faith and I lost hope and the weight came back or whatever the case may be. But now that I'm sticking with it, I'm physically getting back to where I want to be. It's a slow process, but I'm getting back where I want to be. Mentally, same thing. Every morning I'm listening, I'm reading motivational, positive stuff, and I'm speaking life into myself. And mm -hmm. spiritually, same exact thing. I'm meditating. I'm praying, I'm seeking counsel. It's just do the best version of yourself is what I feel the hustle is truly about. Love that, man. That's a great answer. It's asked that question so many times, I get so many different answers, and that's just one of <laughs> completely unique, isn't it? Because it's a real different perspective. And uh, I've been I've been watching your your fitness the way you document it. I've been enjoying it, man. It's good to document it because. I've actually, it's funny because I've only just got back in the gym as well, kind of two reasons. One, because they were closed for so long. Two, because mm -hmm. I just, I got out of the habit. I got lazy. There's no, no, yeah. other, no other thing for it. It's how it is. But um, it's weird because it's like, it's, you, you come away from fitness and you become comfortable in not doing it. Right. Uh, and that's how it is. But then the second you get back into it, mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God, what was I doing? How have I not been doing this? Right. Um, Again, like back when I was in the military, or even before I was in the military, I used to do cross country. I was I was fit almost since the, since the day I was born. And when I got out the military, uh, I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing my walks, my runs, nothing. So as you said, I got lazy. Like I, I just didn't do what I knew I should have been doing, and it just got easier to be lazy. Mm -hmm. And once I started really being committed and working out. Trust me, there's days where I don't want to work out, <laughs> but I find it the days I don't want to work out and I work out, it feels that much better. I feel accomplished because I'm mentally changing myself to defeat the enemy within. Yeah, exactly right. Defeat the enemy within, rewiring yourself. And, um, yeah. and that can happen on, you know, almost a daily basis. It's fine. But um, just moving forward with it and... Uh, only looking backward to see how far you've come, not not because you're going actually going backwards. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up with some rapid fire questions. Um, All right. Partly partly because you did that to me, and I enjoyed it. And partly because I've been doing it a little bit, but it wasn't a thing I did when I first had you on the podcast. Yeah. All those months ago, and I think you were episode number two, I believe. And now you know you've I've done a. Well, I've done 68 since then, 67 since then. So, um, but before I get into the rapid fire questions, like I would yeah. love for you to give three hot tips to the audience. Anyone mm -hmm. out there who's perhaps working on a book 
um, mm. have maybe the concept or the idea of a book in their head mm. and like someone who's, you know, done, been through that process and, and, and now has a book out there in the, mm. in the public forum, what's kind of three hot tips would you give? Mm. Okay. Three hot tips. The first thing is for anyone out there who is wanting to write a book, think about writing a book or in the process of writing a book without being rude or blunt, just do it. Uh, that's real talk. Just do it. Uh, it's never going to be perfect. Just do it. Uh, my second tip would be I made the mistake of writing my first manuscript and immediately trying to share it with everyone to get feedback. <laughs> get feedback, but By the way, go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm oh, sorry to cut across you, brother. How did that huh? go for you? How did that go for it you? Did, it did not go well. <laughs> I mean, no one, no one was blatantly mean to me, yeah. but I got a lot of looks and no one wanted to read it again <laughs> after I shared the first manuscript. Uh, but go over your work. The, um, as me and you were discussing earlier, the first time you write your manuscript is you telling the story to yourself. Every time you go over it afterwards is you getting the story better to tell it to someone else, right? And I got that from Stephen King. That's not mine. I got that from him. So what I would advise is go over your manuscript multiple times before you decide to share it with people. But make sure you share it. Don't don't try to sit there and say it's not perfect. I can't share it yet. No, just make sure you go over editing, grammar, stuff like that. Try to get the story as flowy as possible. Is that a word? Flowy as possible, and yeah. then and then share it. Uh, yeah. And then my third tip would be for those who are already have a book out there and are trying to sell it. Um, as my great friend. Jake Fowler would say, you gotta be <laughs> you gotta be your own spokesperson. You gotta be your number one fan. If you aren't selling your book, no one else is gonna do you for you. Now I get it. On your Facebook, Instagram, your social media account, you might only have your family and your friends on your account. I get it. And you probably don't want to annoy them. I get that as well. But they are not paying your bills. <laughs> they are not putting money in your pocket unless they buy your book. So you have to be your number one fan and um, market your book. Because I know when I first published my book, I did a couple posts, but honestly, I probably could have did a lot more. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think you can, I don't think you can ever put too much content out there as long as it's, you're approaching it from different angles and keeping it fresh. Agreed. Like, can't recycle. You can't keep recycling the same stuff because mm -hmm. people are just going to get tired and bored of it. You got to keep it fresh. Right. You got to keep it interesting. But it can be on the same subject matter right. all the time. You can piece. You can produce hundreds, if not thousands, of pieces of content around the same subject, just as oh. long as they're mm -hmm. from fresh perspectives. Right. Um, I have a friend who is an author and she came to me asking me, how am I getting book sales? And I replied like, hey, I, I just marketed my book. Are you marketing your book? And she's like, well, no, it's on Amazon. And I'm like, well, how can anyone find your book if you don't market the book? 
Mm. And of course she was like, well, I don't know how to market it. I'm like, just put a post. I don't know how frequently, how frequent you post, but once a day, put a post up about your book. Once a week, put a post about, about your book. People just forget things, post about it. And mm. I share the story because a couple of days ago, she messaged me and says, oh, thank you for encouraging me to post about my book because my sales have gone up. People are buying my book now. It, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. Just do what you got to do, right? You could have the best products or service in the world, but if you're not putting it out there, people don't know it's there. It's as simple as that. Like, it doesn't exactly. matter where you're, where you're holding it. If it's at Amazon, if you know, if you're on eBay, if you've got a Shopify store, if you've even got a physical store, like mm -hmm. something I was listening to the other day. I do a lot of listening to uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you've listened to much of his stuff, but like, yeah, I listen to him. Yeah, yeah. People see like Amazon's massive success. But what people don't know behind that, Amazon was the biggest buyer of Google Ads for I think the first at least five years that Google Ads were even available as, right. as a product, right? Mm -hmm. And they and they were really in there at the beginning when mm -hmm. the cost per click was like four or five cents, and right. and the that's how, that's yeah, and that's yeah for sure, and that's how they really. They got a lot of their hold and gravity because every time someone searched anything on Google, they were the they were the top thing that came up. And ninety percent of people don't go past that those top few searches, that even the top fold of the page, let alone the first page. You know, yeah. um, so that's you know, and that's a, a great example of it. Doesn't matter, you know, who you are, what you do, you got to put yourself out there. Got to put yourself out there. Never be never be afraid of doing that. Never be never be concerned of. Oh, I might put myself out there and people might not like it. Well, that's fine. That's up to them. It's not up to you. You can't, well, you're not going to that. I think one of the best things I've ever heard is that whether you do right or you do wrong, you are going to hear people's opinion. Mm -hmm. You might like it and you might not, but you're going to hear it regardless. So you might as well just do you and go out there and shine. Right. And for everyone out there, I know it's easy for us to say just market your book because you might be struggling financially or whatever the case may be. There are millions of ways to market your book that cost little to no money. You just have to be creative mm. and figure your plan out. Yeah. Yeah. And same for anything, you know, you, there's, there's a lot of ways you can do it with a very little to zero cost at all to get it out there. Uh, right. So I, I uh, sorry to cut you off. So uh, one of the things that I do, cause I like to try to give people tangible, things. So I don't know if this will work for you. Let me go ahead and put that disclaimer out. But for one of the things that I do is to market my book is I use Instagram's um, ads and I do um, $1 a day for 30, 31 days, however long the month is. Right. And so I spend a dollar a day for however far that ad will go. And I get sales from that. I picked a really good picture that is interesting that people interact with. I have a caption that that is enticing that people again interact with mm -hmm. and then that's how I do. So the reason why I do a dollar a day for 30 days is because I apologize in advance. I have a tea addiction. Um <laughs> Dunkin Donuts and Starbucks. Starbucks has a chai tea latte and Dunkin Donuts has a vanilla chai tea latte that I love both of them. So me back before COVID, I used to buy coffee almost every day, which I think everyone knows who buys coffee. Coffee is more than a dollar. 
<laughs> right? So if I can um, spend money on my addiction, I sure enough can spend money on promoting my book. So yeah. I chose to do a dollar a day and that works for me and my budget. Yeah. Hopefully that works for people out there, but that's what I do. It's, it's simple things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's simple things like that. And I mean, look, I've got a lot of experience in, in, in the ad space with, with Facebook, with Instagram, to some extent with Google. Um, right. I have, on the, on the complete other end of that scale, I've spent $100, $200 a day for two or three months in some periods yeah. in, in the busy season. You know, but that's selling a very different product that's uh, like high ticket price. So like you can, and and to flip that over again, you can do. You don't even have to spend anything on ads. You can just find twenty or thirty friends and go, "Hey, could you please share this for me or post this for me?" Oh, yeah, um, exactly. You, know, you can do. You can use lives are a big one right now. Like going live on Instagram, going live on Facebook, live on YouTube, yeah. live like we are right now using. We, I'm using this uh, software called StreamYard right now, to, mm -hmm. which broadcasts it all as many platforms as there is, whatever you want to choose at once, um, for a very low cost per month. But mm -hmm. you can, of course, go completely live just on Facebook or just on Instagram for free. Right. The platforms are pushing live because they're all trying to compete with each other for video and be be the top space right. in video. So you should know that the algorithms are going to favour you for doing lives, right? So they're going to show you more. That little thing is going to come up saying Jay is live now. You should watch him. Um, right, it can cost you nothing. That can, it can give you a lot of gravity, give you a lot mm -hmm. of traction because um, it's it's like you're you're documenting it gets there. It's happening right now, and that's authentic. You know, there's no room for mistakes. There's no room for edits. It's it's just it's right now. It's raw, and people like that. So I think you can, you know, perhaps if you if you had a book, you know. If this is my book and I was like, I'm live with it, and I'm going, I'm going to read you the first chapter of it. Like, people, people would love that. I think that would be awesome. And you give them the sizzle, but not the steak. And if they enjoy the first chapter, then they're probably going to want to read the rest of the book. How do they read the rest of the book? Well, they're going to buy it, and that's the call to action. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's go some rapid fire questions. I haven't even got these written down. I'm just going to come off the top of my head. All right. With them. All right. Are you ready? I like you say, I am born ready. Aha. Okay, then. First one, Jay Reese, do you believe in aliens? I believe it's possible. <laughs> is that a cop out? <laughs> and because, like, my thing is that I'm a big believer in um, the creator, right? And if he can create us, who's to say he or she can't create something else way out there? Now, I don't believe aliens are this highly intelligent, super advanced species. I don't believe that. I feel that if there are aliens, they're probably just like us. And whoever gets to the other one first, just gets there first. So that's kind of what I believe. But I believe it's possible. I don't know if there exists, but I believe it's possible. Okay. Um, well, on the back of that, do you believe in ghosts? I do. I do. <laughs> Have you ever seen one? Um, so I have a sixth sense and I can feel auras and people's energy and stuff like that. So anytime I'm in a house, no matter whose house it is, I can usually feel when there's a presence or other people's presence there. And when I start talking to the people, usually they'll tell me, oh, so-and-so died in that room or so-and-so did this. And it'd be pretty spot on to what I had said. So 
I believe ghosts are now. I don't believe like poltergeists are messing with things and moving things and stuff like that. But I believe there are presents around. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I never knew that about you as well. You, you know. got the you got the sixth sense going on. Yeah, you got to get me live more often. I'll, I'll tell you more honest things. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, if you were if you were stuck on a desert island, what were the three things that you would need to take with you? Excuse me. Uh, so I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. Uh, I have every album of his on video, excuse me, on CD and on vinyl. I'd have to take at least the vinyls and something to play them on. So it can, is that, does that count as two things or is that one thing? Um, mm. well, so I, one. <laughs> okay. So I have to take that. The second thing I'd have to take is, um, Victor Frankel's in, um, Man's Search for Meaning. I have to take that to read with me because I think of all the books that I've ever read, that's the one that I think I would want to keep reading. Not because it's an easy, fun read, but I think that would help me get me through being on the island by myself for however long I was stuck on the island. Uh, the last thing I would take is... Huh. The last thing I would take, and I hope this doesn't sound odd, but for those who don't know, I'm vegan. So back when I was in Los Angeles, there was a vegan restaurant that had a um, vegan uh, shrimp casserole that I loved, and it was so good. I would take that. That's what I want to eat. Now, if I can only have it for one meal, I have to eat it for the rest of my life. Either way, I'm good. So... I take I take those three things. Yeah, so good. What was the book called? Victor Franco was the author. Um, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Man's. I'm just going to drop that in the comments because mm -hmm. yeah. I've, I've never even heard of that book before. Oh, dude, it's um, it's a really great read. Again, it's it's not a happy book because he's talking about his time in the Jewish internment camps during um, World War II, mm -hmm. but he's he's speaking about how regardless of the situation that's going on, everyone in there was still searching for different reasons to live. Mm. And it's such a profound book. So anything that you're going through, you read this and you're just like, okay, I can make it through today. I really can. <laughs> so it's that kind of a book, you know? Yeah. 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 What is your, now this is a somewhat of a personal question, but I think, uh, I think you'd be, you'd be, position to answer it you, you're pretty open to talking about that kind of stuff what is your fear hmm. my fear is leaving this earth without leaving my mark and i say that not to sound superficial or egotistical but i want to leave this world better than i found it i want to leave this world with with people knowing they could be the best version of themselves and that there is hope for a better brighter day and I want to leave this world with a ripple effect of people doing good. Love that. Love that. I reckon, I reckon we'll just wrap up on that. I reckon that's a great, great, great point to, to end the episode, to end the show. I'm so glad I had you back on. Um, one of the main reasons I had Jay back on was because he's, he's, the connection that he had last time just didn't dignify the words that he was sharing. It couldn't be completely 
clearly and, and easily all seen and heard. So I'm glad it was it played out a lot better this time. Um, you know, in fact, I'm already looking forward to the next time. So I'm sure we'll have you have you back on again, bro. Oh, brother, you already know. You call me, I'll, I'm there. As long as I'm available, you got me anytime, dude. Good. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, whether you're listening now, live or later across any of the platforms. If you did enjoy the episode, please give it a like. Please give it a share. And, Jay, there's only one place to find you, right? There's one place where you spend most of your time. That's at Finding Jay Reese on Instagram. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, I'm on various social medias, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, in, like you said, Instagram. I'm on TikTok. But Instagram yeah. is usually where I spend most of my time, if you want to get my attention. And they're all finding Jay Reese. I try to make it easy for everyone. They're all finding Jay Reese. See, that is smart. I see a lot of people with a lot of different names across a lot of different things. Yeah. So there you go. Finding Jay Reese is where you'll find Jay Reese. Simple. <laughs> yep. Thanks, brother. Great um, to spend some time with you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Bye. See ya. Bye.